Welcome, welcome, welcome to Chromatic Distortion with Corey Caesar. Like a bitch, yeah, me. Yeah. Tell, telling me you miss me. Oh, and my boyfriend, your friend, boy. Nigga, you shifty. Now you can't, honey, dick me. Now you can't, honey, dick me. Yeah, yeah. Now you can't, honey, dick me. Now you can't, honey, dick me. What's going on, you beautiful bastards and all you beautiful people that have fathers in your life? Welcome to episode 22 of Chromatic Distortion. This is your host, that mildly handsome, Corey Caesar. Some uh, real quick shameless promotions. This week, we dropped the new official Chromatic Distortion uh, podcast logo. It's pimp. Check it out. It's way more professional looking, and it's uh, something I actually 100% designed. Uh, this is our third logo though. If you've been paying attention, the first had a pick with like, uh, Frederick Nietzsche, uh, on it. He's like one of my favorite philosophers of all time. Love that dude. Um, and the previous one that we've been rocking for most of the podcast was just a random pick of like, uh, like a side profile of like a silhouette of a human, uh, like a human head. And I added like a chromatic distortion filter to it and then wrote chromatic distortion Corey Caesar on it. Um, so I wanted to make a logo that was like completely original and, uh, you know, to my podcast. And so that's what I did. Um, I have no plans on changing it again anytime in the next few years. So I hope you like it because that's what it's going to be. Uh, and if you don't like it, go uh, go suck a dick. Um, but I will be getting some stickers made probably here in a little bit with that logo on it. And I might get some uh, a few promotional t-shirts made as well. So be on the lookout for those. Some I might pass out to free. Some I might charge charge for. Uh, we'll see. Um, I also changed the description as well as the category for uh, the podcast this week. So I've done, we've done a lot this week with the podcast um, administrative sidewise. Um now that I have a little better direction, really, I guess, of where I want this podcast to going, I felt I needed to, to, to change those things to better reflect um, the podcast. Um, so I took us out of the comedy category, even though, you know, I'm still going to be funny, guys. You can still laugh at me. Um, but I moved us into the society and culture uh, category. I feel that's a better descriptor for us. Um and the new description is as follows. Chromatic Distortion is a no-filter, general-topic podcast hosted by Corey Caesar. Join me as I take a unique look at life and the world around us through my eyes, one chromatic distortion at a time. Um, you can see this new logo and that new descriptor on the Chromatic Distortion Instagram page. Um, just search Chromatic Distortion Podcast to check that out um and while we're, and while we're uh we're there or while you're there hit that follow because that's where you're going to get all the new updates first that's the platform i'm focusing on for advertisement i'm going to stay away from the facebook a little bit i only did a facebook business page because you have to do it to make the instagram business page i don't really it i don't see any numbers reflected good on the facebook um, when I post something, it doesn't seem like numbers jump. Numbers always jump on the Instagram shit. So that's what we're that's what we're going with. We're going with Instagram promotions, um, and so along those fronts, just real quickly, I want to thank all of our new uh, followers on Instagram. That's right, we have a bunch of you guys. We had we had we added a hundred and fifty new followers this week. Hundred and fifty, um, and my profile visits are up around ten times. That's no bullshit. About ten times the normal amount. Um, I believe we had about 275 followers last Saturday, and we are up over 425 right now at the time of this recording, which is about 9 a.m. on Saturday, February 17th. A few days after that, Valentine's Day. For all you lovers out there, hope you got some uh, some good necking done. You know what I mean? But enough about me. Let's get into the real reason you're here, and that is for episode 22, which I'm going to be calling Honey Dicked in Plain Sight. Now, 
when you read what it's called, it might say something a little different. I'm going to try to do a, word, uh, a play on that dict part because iTunes, uh, they're super cunty about their policy. So you can't have any kind of remotely um, curse words or anything in descriptors and titles. They will um, they'll pull my podcast or they'll pull that episode. Um, that's my number one platform is iTunes that people listen to on. So, you know, uh, we got to appease the uh, the Apple gods. And um, so we'll do a little play on that. But internally, we know what it is. It's called Honey Dicked in Plain Sight, one of my favorite words. Um, and this is about that Netflix documentary, documentary Abducted in Plain Sight. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, a- anyone that knows me knows I couldn't watch this absurdity and not make some comments on it. Um, so I'm not really sure. I, I struggled with how I was going to do the, the format of this podcast. I don't want to like give the whole story out in, in a sense. I'm not going to go like play by play, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow the documentary and I'm just going to give you the, the big topics out of it, pull it out and discuss it a little bit and give, give you guys my, uh, my thoughts on some of the crazy. All right. So this documentary focuses around the Broberg family, uh, Jan Broberg, um, mainly, um, who's the oldest daughter of Bob and Marianne Broberg. Um, they're the main characters, but also involved a little is Karen and Susan Broberg, who are the younger sisters. And they live in a small town, uh, Pocatillo, Idaho. And they're a traditional small town family in the 70s. Mom's basically a homemaker. Dad's a businessman. He owns a flower, uh, florist shop, um, which we'll touch in a little bit. Uh, a little bit later in the episode and this story is absolutely crazy especially i think even for the 70s man but it's definitely crazy for today um so let's start in june 1972 because that's where the documentary starts that's where the the whole story starts and it's jan's mom marianne meets uh, this dude, Robert Birchtold. Now, they meet at no other place than the church, which, as we all know, you know, nothing bad has ever happened uh, in a church. So Robert Birchtold is new to town, and he has a wife and five kids, and right away, Marianne meets him, and she's super infatuated, and she goes... Uh, she goes home and she tells Bob, oh, I met this great guy and a lovely family. And right away, um, both of them, mom and dad, are both infatuated with him, at least the way it sounds when, when, they're, when they're describing this dude. And, <laughs> you know, Bob, Bob's, Bob's like, we got a lot in common. Uh, I'm a businessman. He's a businessman. He has a family. I have a family. I'm like, bro, if, that, if, that's, all, if that's all you guys got in common... Uh, you need some new bros because that's just, you guys are both just in life together. Um, but um, dude sent um, the Brobergs a fruit basket to the crib right away with a little note. And, that, you know, this was before 1-800-Flowers was a thing. So this is a big deal. And Bob was like, oh, this guy's really something. So... um they basically just start telling us about how close the two families are. Um, Jan, the sisters, the mom, the dad, they're all just giving them like a, a little a little story. And they talk about how Birchhold would even pick the kids up in the morning and take them to school. Um, and they started calling this Chester B. So just B for short. Um, so that's how we're going to refer to him now from here on out because they do. So this dude was coming over every day, but apparently his fixation was always on Jan, and he called her Dolly, and would take uh, a lot of pics of her. And I think that's a that's a that's a red flag right off the bat. Like this shit's fucking like a little off. Like you have a grown man uh, coming to your house, taking pictures of your little nine year old girl. Uh, it's fucking weird, but. And and the mom, she was like, "Oh, it's a little strange, you know. It bothered us, but you didn't say nothing. So you kind of just kind of let it go right there, right off the bat. Uh, it's your child, man. Say something." 
So um, this goes on up until October 17th, 1974, and that's when the story takes a little bit of a a little bit of a hard right or a hard left, whatever you, a little bit of turn in the road is what it does. And uh, this is about two years after they met. So B calls Marianne and wants to take little Dolly, little Jan, uh, horseback riding. So long story short, she agrees. So the plan is B's going to basically pick her up from piano lessons. They'll go horseback riding and be home right before dinner. Now, first of all, it's weird. If you think it's a little strange, you're taking pictures of your kid, da 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 da. You gonna let, you gonna you gonna let let him take her horseback riding? Just them two? That's just fucking weird, right? And and it'll it'll start making sense because it's been a lot crazier than what they're leading on even up to this point. But uh, basically, he picks her up and he gives her an allergy pill, known in the streets as that Bill Cosby. And lo and behold, she passes out, no memory of anything. So here's where this story gets even more strange, especially from the parents' uh, point of view. So the plan was for them to be home before dinner. They don't show up. About 9 p.m., B's wife shows up, and she's a little worried. Now, according to Marianne, the wife talks her out of calling the police. I don't give a fuck who you are. You could be my fucking mother. You could be the grandmother of these kids. You're not talking me out of uh, not calling the police here. It's like uh, you're supposed to be home a long time ago. And, and she even says, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're, I was worried. Maybe they've been in an accident. Well, if you think they may, may have been in an accident, you call the police. Maybe they're at the side of the road. They're bleeding out. You know what I mean? Like this shit's crazy. You knew where they were supposed to go. You could, you could. Get in the car and drive the route? They don't even do that. That's why this story is so fucking weird to me. But, uh, so basically Marianne, um, gets talked out of calling the police. So Thursday is when this disappearance takes place. They call nobody on Friday. They go all through Friday. Mom says she doesn't want to upset Gail, the wife. You're like, you're more worried about upsetting your, your neighbor than, uh, than your daughter? Like, this whole, it's fucking crazy. So, finally, Bob, like, a, a little voice of reasoning here, talks Marianne into calling someone on Saturday. Now, who do they call? Not the local police department. No. They can go straight to the FBI. Which, for, first of all, is crazy. You don't even want to call nobody, and then you escalate it to the FBI? Like, what is going on here? So, Marianne gets a recording. And this FBI office, this number she has, is closed for the weekend. But it does give them a number to call for any kind of emergency. So, what does she do? She just doesn't follow through. Because she thought, and I quote, I didn't want to get these people worked up off of nothing. Your daughter's been gone for two days. You don't want to get no one worked up. You don't want to upset Gail, the neighbor. Don't want to get that police worked up. You know, it's just their job. It's just what they're paid to do. I mean, you know, why bother those guys? So we'll just wait another day. And if they aren't back Sunday, we'll call again. So now it's October 22nd, a whole five days uh, after they went riding them majestic thoroughbreds. Before Marianne finally decides she's going to call that local FBI emergency office number. So right away, like should have happened, you know, day one, uh, two agents show up. And the main dude investigating this is going to be Pete Welsh. All right. That's his, uh, that's the main dude. He comes there and he conducts an interview. Now, the parents tell B, uh, I mean, they tell him that B is a, a close friend. And he's a part of their LDS faith, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In case you didn't know, um, he's a businessman. He's a pillar of the community at this point. He has tons of friends. And basically, they tell this FBI agent that they don't suspect B, you know, to be in the uh, 
the pervert business, even though I'm, I'm calling the dudes, the, the dudes a pervert, dude. You know, he, he likes to touch little kids booty hole. He, he likes that Michael Jackson. Um, and, and they tell the FBI agent that they don't believe he kidnapped her, that he just took her somewhere. Come on, guys. You guys can't be that naive. Um, so the FBI, they go and they talk to Gail and they find out that B owns a motor home in storage. So um, when the FBI goes looks, they see that the motor home is gone. Now, Pete Welch, the FBI guy, after this takes place, believes that he has a kidnapping on his hands. Um, not just some friend took your uh, took your daughter on some, some weird un- unannounced trip, right? Um, so long story short, they end up finding B's car. The window's busted out, but it's from the inside, not the outside. There is some blood present. Um, there's one set of footprints only and tire tracks that look like they belong to a motor home leaving the scene. So they start a nationwide search. The FBI agent Pete Welsh basically says he thinks that um, uh, B carried um, Jan out of the car himself and that he was trying to make it look like they had been kidnapped kidnapped so he could um, have a story or an alibi right so he starts a nationwide search he puts um, bulletins out everywhere border crossings all over now this is 1974 guys you gotta remember times were different it's, it, it doesn't go out as quickly some of the, I'm sure tons of these small towns didn't, didn't even get these bulletin updates so it's just it was a different world back then it was hard to find people um so they looked everywhere as best they could, and this went on for weeks. So through the FBI investigation, they find out that B uh, had been known to have like this little infatuation with little girls. His brother, who I actually like, keep going back and forth, back and forth if I like this dude or not. Um, he says B was always a sexual pervert. Said he always liked little girls, and said he had like this need to. F- uh, he had a need to fill as a pedophile and that he in fact knew B was a pedophile claims he did stuff to their younger sister even um, a, a half sister she was six and he was 13 at the time uh, so that that's the part where I, I don't know man it's like you, you you know your brother's a pervert you know he's out there doing these these things to little girls and you kind of just kind of just letting it slide that's why I go back and forth but 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 he, he plays a bigger role uh, later on also. Um, so the FBI says um, they found out basically also that he tried to get with two other girls in uh, Pocatello, Idaho, before the parents cut him off. So two times before he got in good with Jan, he, he tried this with two other families. And... Uh, Y'all didn't fucking say nothing. You just let this sexual deviant loose on the streets. So you, you knew two times he tried to get a little close with some daughters, and you didn't, you, you felt uncomfortable, and you cut him off. You're a small town. You don't you don't tell nobody. Just kind of let it slide. Let this dude just walk the streets. So basically, B's plan, this dude's plan, is to seduce Jane, and this is like his mo: seduces the little girl, separates her from. Anyone standing in between, which is the mom, dad, and the sisters. So he could basically just do as he pleased. Um, so, so like Jan and her sister shared this room in the basement. And B talked them uh, into building a wall in between the two girls. Which will make a little bit more sense here in, in, in a minute. So another time B invited some other neighbors to go boating. And pervertedly enough, he invited Jan also, but just Jan, not the parents, right? So like super double date-ish, dare I say. And that neighbor had some sense by cutting ties with B after that um, because he felt something was amiss. Uh, No shit guy. Um, But let me tell you what is also amiss is, dude, these parents are fucking crazy, dude. They used to have sleepovers in the backyard 
on the trampoline. You're like, oh, that's cool. Like, little kids always have sleepovers in the backyard, you know, like on the trampoline on the stars. But what's the harm in that? Well, let me tell you the harm in that. There was a, another guy present, and that was that was this Robert Birch, Birchtold, you know, B. He also slept with them on this trampoline, right? Come on now. And this is all pre-abduction, guys. And the parents didn't suspect anything, remember? They just thought it was... You know, he took her on a good little trip. And it, and it even gets stranger. So on this trampoline one night, Jane, uh, Jan remembers waking up uh, with her panties down to her ankles. And B was next to her with his hand on her. And he claimed, and they believed that they bought this, said that she was tossing and turning and she must have gotten uncomfortable and just, you know, taking her panties down. Because how, how many of y'all uh, are sleeping and you're like, man, these panties are super uncomfortable. Let me just put them down below my ankles so I can't even spread my legs apart. Because that's real comfortable. This is real life, guys. And, and I don't like talking bad about the dumb, but this is like some next level shit. So if the trampoline wasn't a big enough red flag how about a year before the abduction jan went on a family vacation now you may think oh that's not that's not that that weird but it wasn't with her family it was with the birch the birch tolls and apparently this wasn't even the first trip he took jan on so this is like super weird but this one trip in particular um they came back and had some strange stories now jan started rocking back and forth apparently one night at dinner uh, AKA that Bill Cosby and B had to take her back to the hotel room, you know, alone in, in the, in the uh, dead of the night. Now she told her parents that she was like kind of in and out of consciousness, but she had woken up one time and noticed, you know, B standing there in, in the, in the buff, you know, in the nude, in the, in the nakedness. Um, and again, this was still not a, a big enough red flag for them. And I'll tell you why it's because they were being honey dicked. The parents, both of them, honey-dicked. And this is where we start to see the real reason why the parents are kind of playing this whole little situation kind of coy. You know, like, oh, I don't really think nothing's bad. It's happening. He just kind of, you know, took her on a trip. So while all this other craziness is going on, the trips and the trampoline sleepovers and the panties down between the ankles and uh, passing in and out, uh, Marianne starts talking to be on the phone a lot, having these conversations on the phone, kind of like, uh, you know, being in them DMs on that, on that Instagram. Uh, and, and she eventually starts just taking him lunches and stuff at, uh, to work, to his business. Now, as she's describing these interactions, I can't help but notice that, uh, Marianne has this like little smirk on her face and she gets this smirk almost every time she's talking in detail about, about B and it really irks me. Um, and I don't know why it's just, it's like deviant. It's like this little deviant smirk, like, Ooh, like, Ooh, I was doing something and I liked it, you know, even though it was at your daughter's expense. Um, so she starts basically saying, um, that basically this, this dude's sexual prowess, you know, was grade A and he possessed these qualities, you know, her husband did not. And he would say all these panty dropper lines about how he liked her body and ooh those legs sexy legs basically he wanted to wrap her legs around his head and wear like a fucking crown you know that that's the gist of it that i got so she was love struck you know by this new cat in town this 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 new dude walked in and she's infatuated um so one time they end up going to this church function out of town her and b you know, you got to love them churches and them functions. Um, and they ended up messing around a little bit. And, uh, you know, a little bit of necking. Uh, she said he touched her breast. You know, they got to like first base, maybe maybe a little half slide in the second. Um, and, then, and then it came back, but she was hooked. You know, so now, now that they're back, now, you know, now it's Papa, Papa Bob's turn to get in on that honey dick. So B shows up to uh, the floor shop and asks Bob, you know, let's go for a little a little ride in the car. I want to talk. 
So he starts that bro talk about how his, you know, his wife ain't giving up that fucking poisson no more. And that he needs to have some of that sexual healing, you know. And uh, Bob looks down and he sees that B. B got that, that full-blown homoerotic man staff going, dude. Got that full-blown hard-on just rocking it. First of all, how do you get hard in a car like that sitting next to a dude? I mean, the dude was, dude was smooth, man. He, he he got that shit hard quick. And he turns and asks Bob for some relief. Now, this is 1972. What do you think happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. Birch Toll was such a smooth talker or something. He had that charisma, that sexual prowess that Marianne was talking about. Because Bob reached over. And jerked dude off. Gave him that hand job. You know, he lent out uh, Angelina Jolie for some services. He he gave uh, Rosie Palmer and her five sisters a night off on his own dick and uh, lent it to uh, to Bob uh, Robert Birchchild. That's what happened. So what you have is <clears throat> both parents having an affair with this dude whose only goal is basically to get close to the daughter Jan, right? That that's what we're that's what we're um, surmising here, and shit gets even more fucking crazy because according to the FBI, in January 1974, this is about eight months before the abduction, um, Birch told was reprimanded by the High Council of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints because of his, I mean we we all can. We're all going to guess, right? His involvement with another little girl. So here we have the fucking church once again covering for pedophiles, right? We hear it all the time. Like you don't warn the other members of the congregation that this dude's like among you, you know, around your kids. I mean, it's like you're going to protect yourself instead of your congregation. To me, that's shitty. So... This is neither here nor there. Their punishment, you know, which is what the church gave him, was he needed to go see a counselor in Idaho Falls. Now, that counselor said he had also gone out to California to go to this clinical psychiatrist to help overcome his fascination with Jan. Now, when he comes back, he tells the fucking Brobergs, and this is real life. That part of his therapy was to just spend some time alone with Jan. And they believed him. And not just normal time, not just, hey, um, you know, I'm going to sit in the living room, you know, and just, just sit here and talk, you know, n- you know, not, not that, not nothing even semi-normal. <clears throat> he was going to spend this time with her in her room after she went to sleep. Ho mom says they didn't feel comfortable you know, with this whole scenario, but it was part of his therapy. So, you know, it must be true. Now, I think, you know, what was really going on is she was hoping she was going to get that fucking vagina licked afterwards. And dad was hoping and hoping for a little reach around himself. That's my theory. So he would basically lay next to her, listening to these creepy ass fucking tapes that this doctor gave him. Now, Dude turns out that he wasn't even a licensed psychiatrist and then he had had that license revoked. Either way, he only spent about two months with this therapist, comes back, tells a stupid story. Parents believe it. Long story short, um, B was giving Jan, you know, quote unquote, vitamin and allergy medicine regularly and was... Um, according to the FBI, molesting her during all these new sleepovers. Now, Bob claims, you know, they never had no inkling, we had no inkling that he had any sexual designs on Jan. It's like, come on, guy. And and according to court documents, this is crazy to me, Robert Birchhold slept in Jan's bed four times a week for six months straight. Four times a week for six months straight, and you don't you don't question that. And, and and that was that was right up until the day she was taken. 
and you still have no inkling of anything, though, my dude, come on, man. You guys can't be that fucking dumb. And I don't, like I said, I don't like talking bad about the dumb, but this is, it's borderline splash of retard territory. Okay, so now we're back to October 17th, 1974, which is the day of the abduction, right? Now the ultimate honey dick is about to take place. This dude is creative to say the least. So Jan wakes up laying uh, on a bed, bound. Her hands and her feet are bound to this bed. And there's like this little uh, tape recorder box of, of some kind uh, next to her playing in like this alien monotoned voice. And she immediately believes and thinks that she has been abducted by a UFO. So the story is basically this voice was two aliens named Zeta and Zethra, right? Super original. And she was informed that she was half alien. Her mom was her human biological mother, but her dad wasn't Bob. It was an alien from this planet, right? And she believed this because of her faith. And the story of Moses, uh, of uh, Mary and Joseph, right, which resembles this alien story. That's the honey dick, man. You get these people like really indoctrined into the church, and they they might believe some shit that sounds similar, right? Because they're super, definitely children, because they're super impressionable. We talked about that in other podcasts. Um, and these aliens gave her a mission, and this mission was to have a child that would save the alien race by the time she was sixteen years old. And if she didn't accept, they would basically just take her sister. Right, And then told her in the next room that she'd find this male companion, this dude who she's supposed to have this baby with. Now, we all know who's in that next room, right? So she walks out, and obviously there's B. And he's passed out and cut up because you got to remember, uh, they found, remember they found his, his car. It was, the, the glass was broke out from the inside. There was some blood on the thing, so that's why he's cut up. So this makes her believe you know, he also must have been abducted that, oh, this story must be, must be right. And she's kind of relieved um, that she's there with someone she knows, right? That which kind of makes sense. She's a little kid. She's scared. She sees someone she knows she don't believe is, is going to do anything bad to her. So I guess I could see the kind of the relief there. But this dude, he obviously confirms her belief of this alien abduction, claiming, you know, they were driving down the road, some big white light, you know, the whole original alien story, abductions. So she tells him about this box and Zeta and Zethra and that they have a mission. She tells him about this mission. They need to procreate, have this baby. So a few weeks passed um, since since this uh, abduction, you know, and they're in this motor home. She believes she's still being drugged and he's showing her these sex books like the reading the sex books so after about a couple weeks the box finally says yo it's time to uh it's time to try to make this baby now this is going to get a little graphic real quick she basically says that he would barely insert which is important to what happens later um and we'll get to that in a few minutes so that that is kind of a little important detail um it's not an, it's not that important to me because all the shit doesn't make sense to begin with, but um, that will come into play here in a minute. Um, so this goes on for 35 days. So they're missing for 35 days. Remember, it took five days before they even called anybody. Um, after 35 days, Birch told, calls his brother. Remember, his brother who already knows he's a fucking pervert. Remember that dude. Tells his brother... He wants him to contact the Birchholds and ask for permission to fucking marry Jan in holy matrimony, guys. Marriage. Tells his brother that they got married in Mexico where it's legal. In case you guys didn't know, legal. But it's not recognized in America, obviously. So Mexican law, 12 years old to marry. Yep, 12 years old. So finally, the parents do the right thing, the first right thing, and say, no, you're not marrying my daughter. 
So, so finally they grow like a, a, a little bit of a backbone for now. So the brother basically, you know, he starts feeling bad because obviously these parents are worried. So he gets a little bit involved and calls the FBI and he allows the FBI to tap his phone. Now they trace this, this call because his brother is now calling him regularly to some small town in Mexico. And the FBI contacts the federales, boy, and those federales come in and they kick down that motorhome door. Now, them dudes don't fucking play, all right? The federales don't play. And in Mexican jail, uh, which is where they took them, both of them uh, is both no joke and a joke at the same time um, because bribery is a thing. So in this jailhouse, they lead poor little scared Jan down this, like, murky, shitty basement stairwell um, to the cell where B is. And now uh, he bribed this guard with this gold ring that he wears. Like, hey, uh, I'll give you this ring. You uh, send that little girl down to me so, you know, I can get my story straight. So he basically tells her she can't say nothing. And that um, just tell the parents that, you know, her parents that he messed up and they took her too far away on a vacation and made a mistake. Think about that. Like you're, like you already know these parents are so dumb that you're going to use that lame ass excuse, and you know it just might, it might just actually work. So he also said, uh, tells Jan that Zeta and Zethra, those two aliens, contacted him, and she couldn't talk about four things in specific, and that was you couldn't mention the aliens, you can't talk about the relaxing pills she had been given, you couldn't talk about the mission. And you couldn't talk about any of the sexual activity, right? And uh, she can't have any contact with any other man, including her father. And if she talked, basically her whole family would be uh, vaporized by these aliens. And she believed this and stayed obedient because he had her under this mind control, bro. She like believed this story that she was abducted by aliens and that her mission was to save an alien race by having sex with this dude, B. This is a fucking real-life story. You couldn't write this in Hollywood, guys. Like, you would write this in Hollywood, and you'd be like, nah, that no one would ever believe that story. Well, here we are. So, basically, they get her back, and Jan starts sticking up for B almost immediately. She becomes distant, um, and... Birch told was indicted for kidnapping charges by a grand jury. So <clears throat> they take Jan to get examined, and here's where um, that just that tip comes into place. Remember, we talked about I said that was going to play an important role. So the doctor said that Jan's hymen had not been broken and that there was actually no sign of trauma. So now the parents don't think that anything sexually actually went on and Jan isn't talking because you know she's still on that mission so I guess that's just the parents trying to justify you know like oh well and the doctor said there was no sexual activity so it must have been just straight platonic and uh, nothing must have weird really have gone on on this trip you know this abduction so Jan goes back to school but she starts distancing herself from the family because, like I said, she's still on this mission. Now, the FBI told this family, man, you need to stay away from this dude, right? He's dangerous. He, he's, a, he's a pedophile. He's a pervert. Um, stay clear. Which, of course, these dumb fucks do not do because they don't make any good decisions. So, Gail, the wife, comes over and talks to Bob alone one night. And here's where these shitty parents get even more shitty. So Gail leaves and Bob says basically to Marianne, like, hey, uh, they want us to sign this affidavit. And David uh, basically saying that Birch told, uh, didn't kidnap Jan. And if they didn't sign it, they were going to expose that little necking affair between Marianne and B. You know, nothing about that hand job yet, right? That, you know, 
that that didn't come up. But Marianne couldn't have her wholeness exposed. And like I said, in the back of Bob's mind, he knows he was involved in some of them dark arts himself with that fucking handy. So what do they decide to do? What do these great American parents decide to do? They're going to sign this fucking affidavits. Basically saying it was a miscommunication. Miscommunication. And without the only two witnesses and the girl who's still on this mission from, you know, the alien god, the state didn't really have a case. Like, how, how do they proceed with this? There's no real law broke if the parent says it's cool. So they didn't drop the case, but they postponed it. And he was released on his own recognizance. So homie moved to Utah to work at his brother's dealership. Now his wife and five kids stayed behind. But he would come back home almost every weekend and would attend that fucking church, you know, where the uh, church congregation were pat him on his back saying, we're so sorry, we hope this all passes, thoughts and prayers, God be with you. You know, and he was also staying in these weird communications with Jan. He would write love letters to her and showed up one night in her uh, in her basement to talk to her, which I thought was really weird. They didn't really they didn't really uh, get into that. Like, how did he get in the basement? I'm assuming the parents let him in. Had to have. Right. He didn't break in. They would they would have mentioned that he just. They're like, yeah, you can go see our daughter, you know, no big deal. He would also give uh, uh, other little kids at school notes to give to Jan, telling her to meet it like a payphone and shit so he could um, give her some instructions. And she was writing these crazy love letters back. She started telling her parents she wanted to marry homie, marry this dude and have children with him. And this is still not enough for these parents. Still not enough. Like your little girl saying, hey, I want to marry this fucking older man that's like your age. And I'm 13 right now. And he kidnapped me. And we spent 35 days alone together. We got married in Mexico. He slept on a trampoline. My panties had been down. Uh, On vacation in Seattle, he was naked in a room after I was drugged. Still not enough. Still not enough for these parents, right? Because in spring 1975, he starts back in on that honey dick on the mom. Starts telling her he loves her again. And of course, she starts falling right back in. And kind of trying to justify it. With, you know, that fucking smirk. As she's talking about this, she got that little fucking smirk on her face again. Like she liked it. And she did. I think she did. Uh, She basically asked him... You know, why'd you marry Jan in Mexico? If you love me, why'd you marry my 12-year-old daughter at the time in Mexico? You know, fair question. A weird question, but fair, I guess, given all the other circumstances and crazy shit. And he, being that good that good honey dicker, is like, girl, I only, uh, I only tell you if you, uh, you know, you come, and, you come and talk to me in person. I, I don't want to tell you over the phone. I need to, I need to see you. So, what does she do? She agrees. And she doesn't go to his house. She doesn't go to his place of business. Nah. Nah. She goes to this fucking motor home, guys. The motor home. You know the place where he held her daughter captive for 35 days? That same motor home. That same bed. And he sweet-talked his way into laying that pipe in her right then and there. After everything, she still fucked him. Now remember they haven't they haven't even banged yet. That was this was the first time. Remember they he you know they he just got like the first first base sliding in the second a little bit of necking that little uh, booby touch it touching is all is all we knew about. And so it, it basically it took an abduction to let him get uh, get in you biblically. Is what that sounds like to me. Like all this shit took place and then he finally got it in. Think about that. That's fucking nutty to me, man. So check this out four days later, because this is all part of his scheme again. He needs to break this family apart because he's trying to get back at Jane, remember? That's still that's still the goal. Um, 
So B calls Bob, and he's like, Bob, you know, listen, guy, I know I uh, kidnapped your daughter, but that's the past, because now I'm fucking your wife. So Bob, you know, obviously he's a little worried about this, but being the cuck he is, he doesn't really do anything about it. And Marianne continues this affair for eight more months, even smirking her way into telling us how much she loved this man, right? Now, during some of these meetings, these sexual rendezvous she was having with Birchtold, um, Dude would miraculously make his way, you know, into seeing Jan, his real mark. And that's where he molested this poor girl like 12 more times. 12 more times because the mom was looking for a little extracurricular D on the side. Now, finally, Bob goes and sees his bishop of the church. Now, at least he did something, right? This church has been very neglectful so far in the situation. But he still goes to the bishop anyway. And the bishop finally gives him some decent advice and says he should file for a divorce because Marianne is going down some weird path. And if he wants to protect his family, he probably should distance himself. So that's what Bob does. He makes the first or second, maybe. Bob Bob's made a couple of decent decisions here, but he's he he's still like way off in the fantasy world. Um he filed for divorce. And she was actually told to leave the house. Go, Bob. All right. Now, that's when B got involved, though. So he, he was trying to get Marianne to get an attorney to go and get the kids and then come live with him, right? And the reason is why she should do this is because Bob's a homosexual who gives out hand jobs in a Buick, right? Remember that? So he now he's finally using... Now he's finally finally using Bob's indiscretion against him, like he's been using Marianne's to try to drive that wedge in. So she does. She goes and she gets a lawyer. But this lawyer tells her that she needs to cut out this cancer, and that cancer is actually B. Um, if she wants to to save her family, because more than likely no, no judge is gonna gonna give you these kids after the, after the story comes out. So she went home, and she made up with Bob, and they quote-unquote, decided no more Birchhold was going to be in their life, right? So they think. Now, remember, he still technically has this case pending, right? This, this, uh, this federal kidnapping charge. And he agrees to a plea deal. And he pleads guilty to this charge. And he gets five years, which was reduced to 45 days, 45 days, and had to report to jail within three months. Like, really, what a fucking joke. Federal kidnapping charge, you get five years. We're going to reduce it all the way down to 45 days, so a month and a half on that 10 years. And you're not even going to have to go to jail right away. I'm going to give you three months to get your affairs in, in, in line. So what does he do? He gets his affairs in line. And then this is even more of a joke. So this is this fucking... This dude, this this uh, pedophile, he moves away while awaiting to report for prison. And he buys something. And you know what he buys? He buys a family fucking fun center. It's like a game center for little kids in Jacksonville, Florida. And ironically enough, or why wouldn't it? Because you can't write this shit. Jan wants to go for the summer and work there. Little Jan wants to go work at this fun center with B all the way down in Jacksonville, Ville, Ville, Florida. Now, I know you're thinking, you're like, there's no way, right? There's no way after all this, after all this, there's no way that she makes her way to Jacksonville, Florida. And I'm going to tell you right now, y'all would be wrong. Because after B talks to, surprise, surprise, Marianne on the phone and laid that honey dick on her again, Mom puts her on a plane to Jacksonville without the dad's knowledge. Think about that, dude. And Jan stays there for two weeks in that pervert's fucking motorhome where the mission continued. 
Now she finally came back. She came back after some fuss from Marianne. Wanted her back. There was a little bit of fuss. He finally put her on a plane. Um, but B wants her back. So B's calling Marianne. It's like, hey, you know, you need to send her back, or or she's just gonna she's just gonna come. And Marianne's like, no. Finally said no. But Birchhold didn't like this, which led to her abduction for the second time. All right, so August 10th, 1976, which was just a few weeks since uh, Jan was back from that vacation to Jacksonville, Florida, you know, to that fun center. Um, Jan's parents wake up, and there's no Jan. And there's just a note. And it's just a note saying that basically she's running away. And this letter's this letter's kind of cryptic, basically saying she isn't coming back until they accept her with B, like accept her relationship with B, <clears throat> that she wants to marry B. But see, Birchtold is smarter this time, right? He's not just going to, you know, have Jan right next to him. So he calls the family, and he says he heard from her. You know, she called him and said that she ran away but wouldn't tell him, you know, where she was. So these shitty parents again, what do they do? They don't call nobody for the second time. Now, the second disappearance of the daughter, second time, they're not going to call nobody. And in fact, they even go one step shittier this time. Not only do they not call nobody, but they start telling people that she's with her grandmother. And why? Because they didn't want to, and this is from their, their mouths, they didn't want to get the word out that she had been kidnapped again and that she was gone again. They didn't want uh, that out in the press at this point. Are you fucking serious? We do. We should lock these parents up as well. Like, that's just nuts to me. Like, you know, man, it's, you know, it, it, it's, they're, they're basically still worried about how you look in the community instead of the well-being of their child. Like, that's the way I read that. I mean, would, and I'm, I'm assuming you guys are taking that the same way. Um, so it's two weeks. So she's gone for two weeks this time. It was five days last time. This time, two weeks. And they finally contact the FBI again. Now the FBI, they contact B, and he claims he doesn't know where she's at. So three weeks into her disappearance now, remember... Um, and Birchtold is still has that he still has that jail sentence looming. Remember, he had three months. That's when he went away. He had three months to report, so he has to report. Um, and he starts that forty-five day jail sentence, but he gets good behavior and he spends a laughable ten days in jail. Ten days in jail for kidnapping a child. 10 days in jail. So at this point, he gets out of these grueling 10 days. Dude must have been a fucking hard felon at this point. You know, you know, he probably had those, uh, that ass calloused already. Um, he moves to Salt Lake City with his motor home, that, that good old motor home, and disappears. But was calling the mom Marianne regularly. I mean, are you guys surprised by that? And she's, of course, taking a phone call still. So the FBI decides to install a recording device. Now, um, these these calls between B and her they're strange, man. And he tells B, uh, he tells her that he's that she's basically out selling dope and prostituting to get money. So that's what B's telling the mom. He's like, look, you know, I heard from her. It's, it's super sad. I don't know what to do. She's out there. She's she's selling dope. She's prostituting herself. He says, I ask her, uh, I ask her how she's getting getting money. She says, real hard, real hard. It's like, get the fuck out of here, man. Talk, talking about playing with these parents' emotions. Like how fucking, like we already knew you're kind of pretty psychotic, but this is a whole new level, right? Basically trying to tell the parents, like, look, she's out there selling dope. In my mind, what he's trying to do is he's saying, look, she's out there doing bad things because you, you don't believe she's with me. She's out there selling dope and prostituting. Wouldn't it just be better if you let her come live with me and I'll take care of her so she won't be selling dope and prostituting? In my mind, that's the direction he was going uh, with those calls. So 
Um, after about three months of this going on, now she's gone three months, right? B's continuously calling the mom. Mom's having these conversations. The FBI finally locates this trailer park where Birch told is at. Uh, and they find his mo- motorhome. So they start surveilling it. And they surveil it for a little over a week. Mm, they don't get nowhere. So finally they knock on the door. And they go inside. And he has basically like a a, a little like sh- shrine, I would say, of jam. It's like pics everywhere, big posters and shit. But he's still claiming he hasn't seen her. Now the FBI, they've been tailing this dude for about a week. They haven't seen Jan either, Right. So they keep on the surveillance, but a few more weeks now has passed. Now Jan finally calls the home, and they got this on recording because remember, remember they re- they recorded everything, and that's super cryptic. She's saying she's fine, don't worry, but you know she's letting the parents know that she still wants to marry B and that B still wants to marry her and that she's okay and don't worry about her, everything's fine. She misses them. Super fucking weird. Just the whole situation. This shit's just crazy to me. So, day 102, 102 days in, we're about four months, closing on that four-month mark. They finally get a break, and they observe um, Birchhold walk to a payphone and make a phone call. After he leaves the phone booth, for all you kids out there, these have phone booths. That's where Superman changed clothes into if you didn't know, that's where Clark Kent became a pimp. Uh, they walked in, and, and the phone book was open. And on this page that was open, there was a handwritten phone number. So what they did was they traced this this phone number, and it went back to an all-girls Catholic school in Pasadena, California. So they called the school. They're like, hey, we're looking for this girl named, named Jan. They're like, we don't have no Jan. They're like, eh, she's probably under an alias. They turns out they enrolled her under an alias so she was there now this school was close enough to where Birchhole could go visit every every weekend every other weekend um, and, and still see Jan now what he did was he told these nuns another great made up story basically she was his daughter he was in the CIA. Now the motherfucker's a CIA agent, guys. He escaped Lebanon during the Lebanon crisis. So not only does he do a CIA, but he's in it. He's in it deep. And during this uh, uh, escape, her mother was killed. And that, in fact, he was still in the CIA. So if anyone ever came looking for Jan... Not to let them know that she's there because that was most likely the bad guys looking for him. So he's throwing this honey dick on these nuns now and these nuns are believing it. They're like, okay, that makes sense. This is real life, guys. This ain't Hollywood. This ain't a Hollywood script. This is real life shit went on. So finally, the FBI, they arrest Birchhold and bring Jan home finally. Right now, she stays a little distance, and about forty days later, Bob's floor shop actually burns burns down to the ground, catches on fire, and they end up actually arresting Birchhold for this, and they determine that he paid two guys that he met in jail to burn it down. Now, uh, they went to jail. Those two dudes. But, of course, sly fucking B skates them charges again, right? But the arson charges. But they also charge him with first-degree kidnapping for the second time, for this second kidnapping, you know, where he enrolled her. And they also charge him for impersonating a CIA agent. Should be a lock, right? The nun saying that's the story they told. This should be a lock charge. But, nah, this fucking cunt gets acquitted of all three of these charges dude beat the arson beat the cia impersonation and now beats the second kidnapping charge what the fuck bro and you know why he was acquitted he was acquitted because due to mental defect mental defect 
this smart dude who's or- orchestrating alien abductions, honey dicking parents, abducting children, making the child fall in love with him. They're not thinking they're being any, uh, abducted. They think this is just normal. All this shit going on, but he's mentally defective. I get it. He's mentally defective, but the dude ain't dumb, right? He, he He's not that. So they ordered him to a mental facility where the dude spent less than six months. Six months there, and then they released him. That's our fucked up judicial system, guys. That's fucking nuts to me. So let's fast forward to more present day and just finish this story. Jan's lovely mother decided to pimp her out once again and write a book about this ordeal back in 2003 and had it published. So now Jan and her basically go around to the speaking events telling their story, right? Now, Birch told, still alive at this point, starts showing up to these speaking engagements saying basically it's all lies, it was all voluntary, and started threatening them. He even started posting, now this is kind of crazy, started posting papers saying he was given total access to Jan by the parents in exchange for sexual favors. Now I kind of I kind of believe him given all the uh the other the negligence man. I mean a lot of that story that kind of makes a little sense. They might have been pimping out their daughter. They were both getting sexual favors from this dude. Let's be real about it. That's maybe maybe it's not what happened, but it's plausible. It's definitely a plausible uh act. You know that that definitely could have went that definitely could have went on. So because he's showing up, because he's Tell him it's all lies. He's showing up to these events. They filed a stalking injunction on him. Now, um, the judge grants the stalking injunction, and not only does she get it for the 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 normal three months, I think is what they were saying, but for life. Like he he not allowed to be around her. So this dude, he just can't take no for an answer. He shows up once again to an event. One that happens to have a biker group called BACA, B-A-C-A, and they're Bikers Against Child Abusers. And they were outside this event, and he starts yelling at them. Now, eventually, he ends up running one of these dudes over in his van. Okay? And when the cops show up, Bob, convicted felon, had a no-no. He had a gun. Yeah, which makes you wonder, was he going to kill Jan? Was he going to kill the mother? Like, why does he have this gun, right? So, um, this gun charge, so they charge him with the gun and they charge him with the assault for hitting that dude. This was the final, finally the charge that got him. This charge, not the kidnappings, not nothing else. The gun charge. That's the one that sticks finally. So again, somehow they let this guy leave the jail and he gets to go home before sentencing. And the pussy took all of his heart medicine and basically drank some white Russians, basically killed himself, took the easy way out like a bitch, right? Didn't want to, didn't want to, um, you know, didn't want to do his time. Didn't want to finally stand up and admit his wrong. He's going to take the easy way out. He's just going to kill himself. Why, uh, why be responsible for your actions, right? So six women... Um, since they started speaking, have come out and said that they were sexually abused by Birchhold as little girls. So Jan wasn't the only. And we, we knew about a couple others um, from the church that were a little weird. We don't know if anything happened there, but six girls came out and said they were sexually abused. He was actually found guilty of rape on one of those girls, and he spent one year in jail for that crime. One year for raping a child. And that is a crime all in itself. And that's where we're going to end this. Dude's dead. Um, it seems like Jan, Jan's moved on a little bit. She she making some money off that book and the movie. Her mom out there pimping her still. Um, and I wish them the best. Like, I, I don't mean to make fun of victims because they were victims. Even the parents, I guess, in, in theory were victims. Jan's definitely the big victim here. Um, the parents, I don't know, man, y'all fucking trash, dude. Let's be real about it. Um, other than that, that's it. Make sure you go to the, uh, chromatic distortion Instagram 
page like we talked about. Like and subscribe. Tell your friends. And like always, be good to one another. And I'll catch you on the flip side. You have just witnessed the lyrical stylistics of chromatic distortion. Like a bitch, yeah, yeah. Tell, telling me you miss me. Oh, and my boyfriend, your friend, boy, nigga, you shifty. Now you can't, honey, dick me. Now you can't, honey, dick me. Yeah, yeah. Now you can't, honey, dick me. Now you can't, honey, dick me. Oh, you look like a motherfucking up. Uh, to be his motherfucking bra. I should slap you with the strap, no bra. Leave you eating through a motherfucking straw. Sliding, sliding in my DMs like a fucking skateboard. With your itty bitty thing in your drawers. Breaking codes, nigga, you should break laws. That'll happen when you being fake cause. Fuck them, that's why I never ever trust them. A buster. You pop shit, they use a rubber. I told them, watch out for the snakes. See a mamba, mamas. Worry about me, fuck drama. Up in Australia, fucking up some commas. Life is a beach and these niggas is piranhas. You don't get pussy virgin like Madonna. Thirsty niggas, swear you was born in Uganda. So why you acting like a bitch, B? Telling me you miss me. Oh. And my boyfriend, your friend, boy. Nigga, you shifty. Now you can't honey dick me, now you can't honey dick me, yeah yeah. Now you can't honey dick me, now you can't honey dick me. Oh. Finally the zinger gave up, honey cocaine made him hate drugs. Soft ass walked on him like a rug. Heart broke, listening to trick stuff. Try to get my homegirl, but she don't like you. Snapshot him, put you on the ground, is what she might do. Cold hearted bangs, feeling like ice cubes. My team goons, motherfucker, we don't like you. Story don't try me, real hoes and bros, the only thing around me. This nigga shocked, he probably wanna drown me. Messy motherfucker washed up with no downy. I really ain't even tryna go in, but what would you do if he tried you and your friend? His friend is my man, so that mean he trifling. To my boyfriend and click clack, nigga lightning. So why you acting like a bitch, me? Telling me you miss me. Oh, and my boyfriend, your friend, boy. Nigga, you shifty. Now you can't honey dick me, now you can't honey dick me, yeah, yeah. Now you can't honey dick me, now you can't honey dick me, oh.